I'm just going to jump right in. Um, how many of you have ever heard this scripture in the book of Revelation? It says, They overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even to death. Right? Doesn't mean don't enjoy yourself. There's pleasures evermore streaming from the throne of heaven. So it doesn't mean don't enjoy your life. It means that when you're persecuted and you come up against all sorts of tests, whatever they may be, that um, you love not those things you're clinging to that aren't eternal. Right? Fantastic. To say it in a positive, when you come up against anything negative, you cling to what you know to be true, what you know to be of heaven, what you know to be of good report. Um, specifically, um, in that context, it's what God has done in our midst. Amen. And then it likens back to, once again, harkens back to, they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Alright? Um, so, uh, I feel led a little bit here to, to, to cover that a bit. Um, what do we mean by the blood of the Lamb? You know, one of the reasons we come together is we remind ourselves of the hope that is within us. That's one of the reasons we, we gather, is to stir each other up by reminder. How many of you know, this is a rhetorical question, but you can still raise your hand or something if you want. How many of you know that, um, man, there's a crazy anointing because you're here. Okay, so um, how many of you know that uh, the blood of the lamb, what you have internally, um, sometimes not even sometimes, is fought against even from our internals. That, that part of us that wants something that we know that will destroy us later, it promises us satisfaction and robs satisfaction later. It promises us freedom and robs the very freedom that it promises. This is what every idol does. And there's a big part of us that loves idols. It's easy. There's no tension. It's just... It's the opposite of sober-mindedness. It's drunkenness. It's like, you know what? I don't even want to think about this right now. I just want to do this drug. I just want to get into pornography. I just want to sleep with this one girl. Whatever that may be. Whatever it may be. There's it's the myriad. I mean, we could literally make a list until the day is long. The point is, is that internally what we do is um, we, uh, we fight against that regularly. Not this like grudging, you know, like, oh, we just have to just hold on until Jesus shows up. Not at all. We're, ha we're hanging out in the very, the, the things that will, will sustain and, and cultivate and feed the very deepest joys. Um, how many of you know it's better to give than to receive, right? I'm not talking about giving right now. I'm just using it as an example. Um, I never do talk about giving, but I'm just saying, um, uh, how many of you know it's better to give than to receive, right? Yes. What's funny is when people give to us, we're like, oh no, I couldn't possibly have you be more blessed. It's just funny. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, if any of you got receiving issues, just receive. It's just great. Um, especially from the Lord. And so, um... What I want to talk about a little bit, a little commercial, is the blood of Christ and what we have, the hope that is within us. And then I'll move forward. Okay, so the world looks at us and they're thinking, man, these Christians are totally weird. Like, they're most to be pitied. And Paul actually said, if Jesus has not risen, we are. That's right. You guys, this is a crappy club. <laughs> I mean, if Jesus isn't risen from the dead and we don't have freedom and the hope that is within us, we suck. I mean, can I say that? Yeah. I mean, it's like, we, we're, we're just horrible because at this point, because if Christ isn't raised from the dead and we have no hope that's within us, we're still in our sins. I'm, I'm quoting Paul here. And if that's the case, then why not eat, drink, be merry because tomorrow we die? But what's so amazing is that everybody that knows us, if we actually have had a transforming 
work done in our hearts and lives through the, the power of Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice, his shed blood and his resurrection from the dead, then there's, they, they just get confused. It's just confusion. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, why are you so different now? Well, it's Jesus. Well, I can't listen to that. So I'm just going to just try to either avoid you or I'm actually going to have to somewhat get this rubbed off on me eventually. It's just it's the only option. So you guys know that my dad's been with us for a month and he just went home on Wednesday. Rick, thank you so much for the smoke, Sam, and it blessed him. Um, <laughs> to see the least. Yeah, um, and then I mean, he loves you, man. By the time he loves, he's like, I really like that guy. I'm like, hallelujah! I mean, I mean, I know that you're a likable guy, but I'm just saying, like, the fact that my dad, someone in the church, like, man, I want to hang out with that guy. Yes. Okay, so so there's that. Um, yeah, he took the smoke salmon. He like smuggled it on the plane with us. And it's his exact recipe, which is even more funny. Um, okay, so there's that. Well, then Chris Lane somehow ends up going to a movie with my dad and I on the last evening that he was here. We went and saw Guardians of the Galaxy too, my third time. And um, it was a great movie. And, um, and so we went and saw that thing, and um, it was so great. My dad's on my right. Chris Lane is on my left, and. And Chris just loves my dad. Like, he's loved my dad before he's even met him because he's praying for him. And so what happens is when he meets my dad, he's not like, what's up, dude? How you doing? No, he's like, hey, Frank. <laughs> it's like they've been hanging out for years because he's been praying for him. Okay, so, so here's the deal. My dad, you know, he doesn't want to come into this situation. And he's been wounded, and I understand that. And, you know, like, there's a lot of, a lot of misrepresentation of Jesus nowadays, and that's not the exact reason why people hate, hate Jesus. It's actually because they're at war with God within. Um, but, um, but it doesn't help when he's misrepresented. Okay, so we don't want to get bitter at evangelistic efforts, because, um, as I've said before, I like them, I like how they do it wrong better than I like how you don't do it at all. And so it's just kind of, we don't, we don't want to, like, fight against things that Jesus loves, even if they're doing it so, like, wrong or whatever. Even if they're in a wrong heart, God loves to get to that heart. And so, you know, we can just minister to those folks, too. Um, have you ever heard of the John 3.17 movement? Have you heard that? Okay, so the John 3.16 movement was totally amazing back in the day, but now it's turned into you're all going to hell. Which is interesting, because the next verse says, but he did not come into the world con to condemn the world, but in order to save it. And so what's interesting is now you have all these, like, emo kids or whatever you want to call them nowadays, like, you know, like the v-necks and the mustaches and the... Whatever. Um, you know, like the, 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 the v-neck with the mustache and the, you know, the whole thing, you know what I mean? And so, like, everything's fire, man, you know, whatever. Okay, so, so anyway, they're showing up next to those folks... And just holding up John 3, 17. Mm -hmm. So you all this like, you're going to hell, a bowl and a handbasket. And then these like young kids just holding up a sign saying, John 3, 17. Saying, but God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Amen. Do you have any questions? I would love to talk to you. Yes. So it's this funny thing that you have all these like fire breathing like situations over here. And then you have this like actual grace standing right next to them. Well, they can't argue with that. How they can, how they possibly argue with that? And so it solved the problem. Because for the longest time, it's like, you guys, like, it's not his, it's not the, the, the fear of hell that leads us to repentance, it's his kindness. That's right. Right? Okay. It doesn't mean hell doesn't exist. It just, hell is the only place you can go to escape the problems of love entirely. It's the only place you can go where the tensions of faith, you don't have to worry about them anymore. It's the only place. And, um, and uh, ironically, we try to create that here. I don't want to be touched. I don't want this, this little hard thing in my chest to actually get touched. I just want to just live a nice, peaceful life. You know, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the blood of Christ. Wow. All of a sudden, what happens is it's accessed by faith. We're not Hindus. We're not Buddhists. We don't have to do a whole bunch of different stuff to get into right connection with the Lord. In fact, he says, you can't do it. 
It's impossible. You cannot actually come into right standing with me, so I'm actually going to come into right standing with you. Wow. Okay, so what that means is, yeah, all these dumb things you do to hurt people and to hurt yourself, and how many of you know that on planet Earth, rhetorical question, but I'm still going to say it, that we are we're in a spot on Earth where you either have been hurt, you have hurt other people, or you're about to hurt somebody else, or they're about to hurt you. It's just Earth. It's just where we are. And so... Um, I hear this a lot. You know, you know, like, the questions that get asked, like, why does God allow war? You know, aren't all religions the same? What about the pygmies in Africa? You know, that whole thing. Why does he allow good th bad things happen to good people? Well, there's answers for all of those. But it really, um, the answer actually removes the actual real reason the questions are asked and actually hits the very the heart of it. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? The real question is, why didn't God smite you the last time you hurt somebody? Hello. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I, this is going to sound crazy, but do you know why the Holocaust was allowed to happen? I'm not going to talk about Jews right now. Mercy. Mercy on every single person perpetrating that. Come on. Come on. Okay. You got really quiet. Okay. Um, yeah, you guys, like, there's a reason why, like, the rapist continues to live. It's because in the grand scheme of things, God is not caught up in the very moment-to-moment -moment injustices. He does intervene, but I'm, what I'm trying to say is that sometimes when he doesn't, he's caught up in the eternal purposes and plans for each one of our souls. And how many of you, have you ever heard of Jeffrey Dahmer? Jeffrey Dahmer? Okay, well, this is a really sick human being. I'm not going to get too into it, but I'm going to say he killed a lot of people and ate them, and it was rough. Okay. Okay, yeah. Well, he got caught. He got caught. Now, the thing with Jeffrey Dahmer is he was actually grown up in a Christian household. But um, he, uh, he was introduced to pornography at a very young age at his friend's house. And then from there, he got really addicted to that thing. And then when he finally went to public school, he bought the hook, line, and sinker that we all come from monkeys, and there's no such thing as a, of a god and that whole thing. So he's like, well, there's no such thing as God, and there's no overruling higher authority. Then there's no actually such thing as right and wrong. I'm the only one that gets to decide that. And so the only reason why I would actually do right is by my own self, like to better myself. So as long as I do wrong things and no one ever finds out, well, then we're good. That's exactly where he landed, which is actually the logical place to land if there's no actual moral compass. If there's no reason. If, 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 good, if right and wrong is relative, then you get to choose where you are on the scale. And he just decided to choose the very end. Of the, he just chose the caboose, you know what I mean? Okay, so that's not actually... I mean, I'm not saying it was right what he did, but it makes sense if there's no such thing as a solid right and wrong. It just makes sense. And people are like, that doesn't make sense. I mean, just think about it, man. I'm like, I am. For, it's, it's everything's relative situation. Um, if you notice, the, the people that say there's no such thing as right and wrong, I love to say this to them. That's so awesome that you never get mad at anything then, huh? <laughs> you just cured your anger. Like, you're never perturbed or anything. Like, Republicans aren't wrong, and like, you know, like, like racism isn't wrong, and murder isn't wrong, and like, nothing's wrong. It's so amazing how you just somehow transcended all of that. I mean, you know, it's like a, a, a you know, facetious statement, but I, I go there sometimes, because usually it's this, this uh, glib, like, smug, you know, thing like, whatever, there's no such thing as right and wrong. Like, no, you've been in way too many college courses. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so, um, you know what I'm saying? It's, like, amazing. Okay, so, um, um, you know, like, this, none of this exists. I'm like, great. I, I, I called my friend out on this years ago, right when I got saved, actually. And God was just grabbed a hold of me. And, and um, I'm talking to my friend, and I was managing his record store because he was catatonic. And um, <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. And so I was talking to him, and, and he's like, yeah, man, you know, like, None of this even exists. It's just all illusion. And I was like, I was like, okay. And then I grabbed these these really sharp scissors and I handed it to him. And I'm like, great, put it through your hand. 
Put these through your hand right now. That hand that doesn't exist and the scissors that don't exist, just prove to me that, because I told him you don't believe that. He's like, I totally believe it, man. Like, you don't believe it. He's like, I totally do. And so I handed him the scissors and I'm like, show me. <laughs> show me how everything doesn't exist. I'm totally curious. What's going to happen once you put your scissors in your hand? He's like, oh, come on, dude. I mean, I was like, so you don't believe it. This is a cartoon for you. This is just, you're just, you're just kind of hanging out in Scooby-Doo. You don't really want to deal with actual reality. And this is the point. Right? Yeah. So, um, actually, I have longer hair. It's kind of funny. Okay, so, um, all right. So, my point here is this. The blood of Christ. What happens is, is 2,000 years ago, on a torture device, this Jewish man, claiming to be the Son of God, dies on a cross, sheds his blood, and actually suffocates because of liquid filling up his lungs, which is why, that's what happens when you die on a cross. You can't breathe. And then, the reason why it's a torture device, I mean, suffocating slowly sucks. But you have to pull yourself up to take a breath. That's, that's, that's why it's a... You have to choose between which pain do you want to deal with. Okay. So um, it says that they, they, they put a spear through his side and all this water came out. The Catholics think that's some mystical thing. No, it's what happens when you die from suffocation on the cross. Right. That turned. Okay. Your body get, grabs all of its lymph fluid and starts filling up your, your lungs with it. Okay. Now, we somehow, like just foolishly, according to the world, believe that somehow everything we do wrong from now until whenever, for every human being ever, is somehow gathered up and put onto that man 2,000 years ago on a torture device. Now, if you just see it from that perspective, well, it's just ridiculous. The Bible actually says it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but eternal life for those who believe. And what I want to say now, I'm just kind of hitting this, and then I'll go into testimony here in a little bit. You know, the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and loving not our lives even to death. Okay, that's kind of where I'm at right now. So I'm at the blood of the Lamb right now. Now, we all know, hopefully everybody, um, that um, uh, back in the day, the Jewish, um, the Jewish tradition, you know, God shows up to the Jews. How many of you know that there's a whole lot of rules on earth, like don't get in a land war in Asia, and don't get in a battle of wits with the Sicilian death is on the line, don't breathe water, don't mess with Israel, should be one of those. It just should be. Now, it's really cool to hate Israel today, especially if you watch CNN every day. But if you actually just watch it from the outside and don't let people tell you what to think about the news, but you just look at facts and get to judge them by yourself. Which, by the way, I cannot find a single news outlet that won't tell me what to think about the facts. Not one. And nobody really thinks about that either. It's just kind of like, it's just taken for granted. Just tell me what to think about this. And that's why... Um, like, you get a lot of people showing up, and all they have is talking points for you about anything that's in the news, whether it be our president, whether it be Israel, whether it be um, anything that's going on. It doesn't really matter. You'll, if, as long as it's on the news, there's already talking points. You've already been told how to think about it and what to think about it. And what I want to say today is um, the crowd is usually wrong. That's right. Historically, the crowd is usually wrong. Um, what's really funny to me is, um, a little side note here, I, I, I know I'm tracking, you guys know what I do, rabbit trails that lead to more, but then I bring it back. Okay. Totally incredible to me that um, what, seem, what is called counterculture today is the populist opinion, but they still think that it's counterculture. It's like, I, I want to kind of let some of you in on something. If you're a heterosexual married person... If you're, like, if you're a male and you wear pants and you're married and you're heterosexual, you're like straight up radical. <laughs> you are. You're like the radical one. You're, 
Yeah. It's it, and it's funny that there's but the the, the the populist opinion still thinks that we're the the majority and we're like the ones that like that like have it on lock and like they're still this like small rebellious little group that's trying. No no no. It's completely flipped now. Now the very things that we were accused of from the fifties to the eighties, rightfully so, um, for uh, basically just changing everything legally to make it pretty much impossible for anybody else to have another opinion, or at least close to it. Um, now it's reversed. So that wrong, they don't really think it was wrong. They just think it was wrong because it was done to them. So now they're flipping it. So now um, you can't read the Bible in schools, but you can read the Quran. You can't like, there's all these like weird stuff happening. You know what I mean? It's just, the, but the hypocrisy is just mixed because there's a spirit behind it. Why are, why are feminists mad about everything except the mistreatment of women in Muslim countries? It's because those two spirits are close together. Yep. They're both anti-Christ. Mm -hmm. They're anti-Christian, which is why those never touch. Mm -hmm. Ask them, Ask any feminist. The, the more fire-breathing, the better. <laughs> why aren't they concerned with, with the mistreatment of, of Muslim women? And they will literally be confused for a second and then get mad at you. They can't slow down and talk about it. It's really interesting. And so what I want to get at is there's something behind all of that. There's a war with God internally. And the blood of Christ solves that. That's right. Interestingly enough, not in some, I mean, I guess you would call it mystical, but not in some like mystical, like Hindu, Buddhist, quasi-New Age way, where like somehow you do enough and you reach enlightenment and then all of a sudden this other thing happens and your behavior changes and all of a sudden you become this good person and you get all the props. That's not what happens. In fact, it's the entire opposite. It's actually foolishness to those who are perishing. You know, um, I was in a... In the New Age for a long time. And um, so I, I wasn't just like crystals, man. No, I mean like full-on demonic agendas, like really intense stuff where there was like, there was literally, I was being told by demons that it was me, but in reality it was them. And there was all this crazy stuff happening. Like, dang. Like I had friends that could knock people over from 60 feet away. Just... Really intense stuff. And, um, like, uh, I was about 120 pounds. Just letting you know I'm 160 right now. So, <laughs> dang. Okay, that's like 40 pounds. You know those big, massive jugs of water? Take that, that off of this. That's how much I weigh. Okay, it's literally. And so, um, I don't even know where that went. But, like, you know, it's like, shoot, like, right here. I don't know where, where there's no meat on these bones, right? I was like a skinny little guy, and yet I could pick up a large, full-grown man and throw him. And I could easily be like, pick me up. And I, I could get in this one state of mind, this is demonic, and people couldn't pick me up. Like two or three people couldn't pick me up. Two. Really intense, right? Okay, I'm not saying that's a good thing. <laughs> I'm not saying like, go run after that one. No, 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 no. Um, what I'm saying is, is that there were, but the, the problem was, is that I was reading all this Hindu literature saying the more yoga you do, the more you worship Shiva, these are powers you're going to get. Well, this is just demonic. The, demon, the demons are like, oh yeah, go there. Oh, the goddess of death and destruction and rebirth and abortion and prostitution. Yeah, worship her. And so here I am, like, just worshiping this Hindu god and all this stuff. And everybody around me starts being, like, coming to me for advice. <laughs> the last dude you would have ever wanted to come for advice. And, and so um, I'm always handing people law and condemnation and, like, you know, in the New Age, it's all about love on the front end and condemnation and confusion on the back end. How many of you have ever been in the New Age? Me and Elaine. Okay, great. Okay, yeah. And then a little. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Okay, so. Man, that stuff sucks. And so, um, what it's all about, it's all about the hypocrisy I was talking about before. It's because there's a hatred of God, but a desire to get to God at the exact same time. 
And so the only option that actually exists is the only option New Agers aren't willing to go. They say, you know, you know that coexist sticker with all the different symbols? If they could just get rid of the T, they'd be so happy. You know, the T that's made with a cross? It's like, they don't mind the moon with the star that wants to kill everybody else. And they don't mind, like, the Buddhist thing that wants to just obliterate all emotion. And they don't, they don't, they don't care about all these other symbols, except the end one, the T. And ironically, this pluralistic idea, um, I get more, um, and you know what I'm talking about, you get more pushback and more judgment and more arrogance from the pluralistic, everybody's the same and it's all love peeps, mm -hmm. than anybody else, mm -hmm. if you're a Christian. It's totally amazing, because they've convinced themselves that we are the condemners. Mm -hmm. We're the ones that want to condemn the world. But John 3.17, very clear, that's not who we are. That's right. We're all about welcoming people into this free gift. That's it. And we have been more maligned than any people group in the history of the planet. We have. It's actually, there's, you can actually, if you don't just type into like NPR or CNN, but actually do your historical research, it's just amazing. There's actually a Jewish man named Dennis Prager. Love that guy. Um, Prager you Highly recommend it on YouTube. Um, he's Jewish. And in and the beginning, it's like the most persecuted people group on planet Earth. And you're like, okay, you get to it, Christians. He's like, it's just weird. He's like, whatever they do, people only take the negative off of it. And whatever, you know, and then what's funny is that, they, but they say that, that everybody's against Islam. But yet Islam can do whatever they want, and you can't even say anything about it, or you're racist, or hate people, or whatever. It's mm -hmm. just totally weird. And so, I mean, yeah, we are, we're over here, like, singing the songs in places, and like, I mean, the worst thing you ever see Christians do is, like, hold up a sign that's offensive. I mean, and even that is not really even representative. Do you, you see what I'm saying? It's, like, totally crazy. So, um, here we have the cure for the war inside of people against God, which is the blood of Christ. What does that mean? Great. Glad you asked. Um, so uh, back in the day, God showed up by grace only, not because Abraham was totally amazing. In fact, Abraham was most likely a sun or a moon worshiper in Babylon, to be quite honest, and um, because that's where he was from. And so um, he shows up, God shows up and says, hey, you, get out. Take all your family, go over there. Okay. And then he goes. That's, and because he went, already his faith, he's like, I'm not going nuts. This is actually a voice. There's something going on here. And so he takes his friends, and, and I mean his, his servants and, his, and his, his wife and all that, and takes them out into the middle of no whiz. This is like walking from here all the way into like the Nevada desert and then hanging out. Okay, I'm here. Okay, and then one, really. And then, um, so, you know, and, and then it wasn't like populated a lot. It hadn't been cleared of wild beasts and stuff. There's like lions and hyenas and stuff in the Midwest, in the Middle East then. Midwest? The Middle East then. It was like, it was a big deal. There was like a lot going on in there. And so, um, so here's, here's God. He chooses Abraham simply because he chooses him. Not because Abraham's totally amazing. He just chooses him because of grace. Great. He gets Abraham. And then we know the stories. It's our Old Testament. Read your Bibles. Um, you know, it goes from Genesis all the way through, and it's one at a time, God continuing to make promises to people that didn't deserve it, and he upholds those promises. That's right. That's the Old Testament. I mean, for real. I mean, read Kings. Read Judges, for crying out loud. It's like, why do you still take care of these people? He's like, because I promised Abraham. I just promised. Sorry. I'm not saying they deserve it. I just promised. And that's the nation of Israel today. That's not the point of my message. But Israel doesn't do everything right. But they're still part of the promise. Great. 
I don't have to morally agree with someone to know that God promised something for them. If all of us had the same dad, we do, but I'm just saying, like, materially, and um, all of a sudden, like, I start flipping out and starting to, like, sock everybody in the face every day. But, he, but our, our dad promised, no matter who we are, no matter what we do, he will continue to bless us and continue to give us good gifts. And then he gives me a good gift next week. Would you be at, at our dad be like, why are you giving him a gift? He's socking everybody in the face. Well, you might. But the point <laughs> is, is this. He already said it's not because you deserve it. So for us to go to our dad and say, why are you giving him a good gift? He's hitting everybody in the face. Well, okay, yeah. But the other, you would expect everybody else to show up to that one that's complaining. About, Dude, look, he loves us no matter what. The point isn't that he's hitting everybody in the face. The point is the promise. Sinking in a little bit? Great. So then um, he sends Moses. You know, you, know, you know this whole thing. Like, Joseph with the thing and blah, blah, blah. He becomes second in command with Egypt. We totally have archaeological evidence of all of this. Um, and so now he's doing this whole thing. He predicted seven years of famine. They put grain in these big things for seven years of the plenty. And then when the seven years of famine came, all the nations put all of their money into Egypt for the next seven years. Egypt grabbed all that money being stored up for something. And, um, <clears throat> you know, foreshadow there. Okay, and so then um, so all this money shows up into Egypt because all the nations didn't have food. Egypt was the only one that knew because of Joseph. And Joseph was one of the sons, the youngest of Israel, Jacob. Great. So now, I'm giving you a little backstory because I'm talking about the blood of Christ. I'm going somewhere with this. So all of a sudden, Joseph says, as before, on his deathbed, he's like, you know what? There's going to come a deliverer, and he's going to show up, and he's going to bring all of you guys out of Egypt. It's going to be really far in the future, though. I think he even called 400 years. And he said, but there's going to be a deliverer, and he's going to show up, and he's going to grab all y'all out, and he's going to make you his. And he's going to actually make a marriage covenant with you. Right. This, this is amazing. And 400 years later... For some strange reason, the Pharaoh decides, dude, there's way too many Jews now. This is crazy. He's all, we got to get rid of them. And so the firstborn, or the, 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 the like two years old and under, he had all the, the males thrown into the Nile and drowned. And then, like we know, there's this one woman, and she's totally incredible. And she has her son. She's all, you're not going into the river. After like three or four months, it said it was hard to hide him. Probably because that's about the age where you start screaming a lot when you're a little kid. And, um, and so he's like, oh man, we gotta, we got to tell him. So she actually takes him down to the river, which is what they were expected to do to drown their kid. But instead, she makes a basket, tar and pitch. She t legally put him in the river, but have him float. And she knows where this part of the river is. She's not stupid. It goes over where, where the Pharaoh's daughter is, is bathing at that specific time for some strange reason. And all of a sudden she picks him up, names the kid Moses. Um, Moses' sister follows her, the whole thing, blah, 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 all of a sudden, like, his mom's raising him, we got God raising him up in the, in the, in the palace, next thing you know, Moses knows that he's a Jew from that whole age, because his mom is raising him, even though Pharaoh doesn't know that it's his mom. Okay, great, so now he knows he's, he's the deliverer, it's 400 years later, I have no doubt whatsoever that the Jews remember that prophecy from Joseph, because we still have it today, so obviously somebody had it, and so, um, so all of a sudden, next thing you know, here's Moses. And he's like, dude, we're taking you all out. It's a long story. Just a bit. They go out after a whole bunch of crazy stuff happens. They're out in the wilderness. And then God gives Moses a new covenant for his chosen people. His chosen people. Because of grace, just like Abraham. The whole earth didn't deserve it, including the Jews. But because he made a covenant with one person, which was Abraham, and in the line of Abraham was in Jacob, and then Joseph, and then Egypt, and then all that. So now you have Moses. And you got like 1.2 million Jews at this point, which is totally amazing. Okay, now they're in the desert. 
And Moses gives them the covenant. And part of it is this. Look, I'm not just going to give you a whole bunch of weird stuff to do, which he did, um, specifically <laughs> so that they would be a, a weird people. Peculiar is the word used, but it's the same word. Um, God literally said, look, I'm going to make you a bunch of weirdos so the whole rest of the world, I'm not kidding, so the rest of the world will look in and be like, what the heck's going on over there? And then my favor, combined with you guys being weirdos, will basically, I'm paraphrasing, it's the King Brian version, um, will, people will look at him and say, what the heck is going on over there? What is that? And um, he lives in the bubble. Okay, and so, um, that's a Seinfeld joke, one of you got it, it's totally fine. And so, um, they're in a bubble, they're in this weird situation where like, they, they, they dress weird, they got corners on their stuff, and they're not shaven places, and it's, the whole thing's weird, they're not eating pork, you know, which is great. And um, there's just a lot of stuff they're not doing. And so, um, like washings and rituals and all sorts of stuff. Well, then he also does this, though. He says, you know what? Besides all that, besides being weirdos, I also want you to be good to each other and to the world around you. So here's the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments are awesome. Go to PragerU on YouTube and look up. He has a video for each of the Ten Commandments. You know the first commandment? It doesn't say thou shalt not kill. It says thou shalt not murder. Vegetarians love that verse. But that's not what it says. Because how can you say, thou shalt not kill, and a chapter later say, we're whacking some, some lambs and some sheep and stuff for your sins. It's not about killing, it's about murdering. Murder is actually ending a human life with malintent. That's what murder is. That's what it is. Um, and actually an unjust killing. Because it also has something about unjust. Because God himself says, I want you to wipe out these people. I'm not going to get into that right now. But it has a lot to do with everybody who was under judgment on the earth. Everybody deserved to be wiped out. It's not like, well, God is just a genocidal maniac. I mean, why did he just like have the Jews kill all these people? Well, back up a little bit. This isn't a college course on sociological like war causes. This is actually back up a little bit and look at the state of the world. All were under judgment. All were fighting God. All were deserving of hell and death for eternity because they were fighting against their creator. Okay. So when a whole people group gets wiped out, that's like a, it's just a small taste of the justice for the whole earth. I'm not saying that women and children shouldn't have been killed, but at the same time, in that time, before, before Christ, it says that death reigned from Adam to Moses. It's a pretty big deal. It means that Anybody that gets killed, it's, it, you deserve it. Death wins. After Moses, it gets a little more interesting. Because now, the law is there. But the law was our taskmaster. This is what Paul says. The law was there to bring us to Christ. To show the entire nation of Israel, and everybody around them, that there was a peculiar thing going on. And that each one of those laws were there for a reason. But, more specifically, they didn't make one righteous. The law didn't make you good. That was, a, that was a very solid point. The law didn't make you good. It's not you didn't eat pork and all of a sudden you were a good person. It's not what it was. The law was there to make you a weirdo. And so there's, and that's really important to understand. The law did not make you righteous. And so um, every year they were told to sacrifice a spotless lamb for the sins of all of the people of Israel. And it only applied to those who believed that it did. Amazing. Okay, so... That little echo number one, little foreshadow there, number one. Um, every year, they, they, they kill a spotless lamb. It had to be clean. It had no blemish, which is also a foreshadow. And then what happens is, is that blood, that blood would be applied to the one priest that was standing in the gap for all of the people. And this was ordained of the Lord. Why? It doesn't make any sense. Could the Lord just say, I just forgive you? 
No, because it has to be paid in blood. It's just his rule, not ours. You know, like, we take it for granted. You know, like, a lot of the kids today... Kids today? I just said that. Well, it's the first time I ever said it. Kids today! Back in my days as well feel! No. Kids, but, but younger people today, they'll, um, they'll, like, watch Star Wars, for example, and they'll be like... I've had this conversation actually recently. But they'll watch Star Wars, and they'll be like... No, dude, it's not as, it's not, like, everybody like, has a Star Wars, Star Wars. They're like, dude, the effects aren't even that good. Da, 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 da. I'm like, they invented it! Like, they invented science fiction! Like, they literally invented modern science fiction. You can't, like, watch Star Wars, like, after watching all these other movies and then compare them. They started it! Nobody had that before then. They started it. So when you go back and watch 1978 A New Hope, you can't be like, dude, this totally doesn't compare at all to, like, Ender's Game or whatever. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> All this genre came from that. And so that's the originator. That's the originator. Um, okay, what if today in worship, this is for all you younger folks, what if today at worship I was like, <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. You'd think that that was totally cheesy and stupid, right? No, I sing it all the time. I was singing that all the time. <laughs> no, no, no. How I'm singing, not what I sing. Uh, you see what I'm saying? That like that I'm standing beneath your wings. You'd be like, this sucks. Okay. See? <laughs> so Mark was like, that was horrible. Okay. Now check this out. If this was the 90s, you guys would have been like, dude, that's the jam. I'm serious. Go listen to any 90s, like, musician. It's the same thing. Flies in the Vaseline, y'all. Or like, I'm still alive. It's like, it's, it's this Yarl thing happening everywhere, right? Well, eventually what happened was, because Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam showed that up. I'm using this as an example here. Um, Eddie Vedder showed up with that. So he's singing in the Yarl. That's the name of that voice. Okay. Well, then all, everybody else thought Pearl Jam was so rad that everybody started singing in the same voice. By the time Pearl Jam came out with their third album, it didn't sell at all. You know why? Dude, that voice is heck annoying, dude. It's so cliche. It's his voice! Like, he's the one that invented it! You can't say it's cliche. He's the one that did it! Okay. So in the same way, um, with the movies, it's the same exact thing. The thing at the very beginning, and then later, they're like, oh, that's so cliche. Well, like, eventually, this one voice that all the girls are singing in right now, that, like, that thing that they do, and then they, like, like do all the... Like that whole thing. Eventually, it's going to be cliche. In fact, most people in music already think it's annoying because every single girl's doing it. And so it's like, that's not your real voice. Like, you don't talk like that. And if you sing like everybody else, you want to be unique. But if you try to make yourself sound like everybody else, then you're not unique. You sound like everybody else. And so you're going to have to try to change something else externally or your lifestyle or whatever that is. If You know, when you call somebody on a phone, they know your voice. You know why? Because it's your voice. <laughs> Yeah. Just sing. You don't have to change up your voice. Just want to say that. A little encouragement there. Okay. Um, so the same way, that thing is not original. In in ten years, that's going to be considered annoying. And that little girl with like the ukulele on like like whatever, whatever. Yeah, they're going to be like, oh wow, she was just copying everybody else. Yeah. yeah. Because that's not her voice. You see what I'm saying? Because she's so young, she can. She's just good at copying. She's like. Oh, I can do that. I'll just write a song in that stuff. Great. Check. And everybody's like, she's so good. <laughs> kind of. I mean, I know she's got talent, but the problem is, is she's not being herself, which means she's going to have an identity crisis. She's going to have to be her over here and then her music over here, but if her music gives her enough attention, then she's going to be tempted to just be that all the time, and then it gets all weird. Anyway, coming back. <laughs> 
Just for everybody in the room, as far as like that whole thing. Okay. This is so bunny trailish. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, come on, get my back. Okay. So um, yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, you're doing great. I appreciate it. So, um, <laughs> now, in the same way, when it comes down to the blood of Christ, it's the same idea. What he do, what he does is, is they ha- they sacrifice these these lambs for their sin for that one year. But what is unknown to most people is how Christianized their thinking actually is, which is pretty awesome. There's, there are cultures on earth, like in Africa, where humility is actually not considered a good trait to have. Forgiveness is considered weakness and dangerous. Why? Because they're not a Christian nation. We take it for granted. We're like, we're like well, of course you should be humble. Like, what's, what's better, be humble or arrogant? There's some cultures that would be confused by the question. But for us, they're like, well, humble. It's because we're a Christian nation. These things are actually embedded in us from the Creator, and we have a culture that still worships Christ, and no matter how much hatred is against this, there's still, there's still a solid foundation laid. You can't yeah. destroy that in one generation. You just can't. Yeah. So, the blood of Christ. We think it's cliche. Well, yeah, like, like, there's books all over the place right now. Like, atheistic theology majors, I'm not kidding, um, love to write books to try to subvert the ideas of the Bible. And they like to use archaeological evidence, but it's their interpretation of archaeological evidence. And I'm not, I'm, not t- I'm not pulling on strings here. I'm serious. But they're like, dude, it's so obvious that like the Judeo-Christian belief system came from the pagans and from Babylon and all this stuff. And they go into all these different ideas, like animal sacrifice and all this different stuff. Now what's interesting, note, is um, <laughs> it goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. It goes all the way back. I mean, you're talking some old stuff. Um, I mean, the world isn't as old as people think it is, but I'm not going to get into that right now. So, um, I just want to say that these, these things are, are they're, they're seeds of the human heart from the Lord, in, internally. We sense, naturally, that, that injustice needs to be paid for. We sense that. We know that. Like, when somebody, I mean, I don't know how many of you guys know, like, any of like, Guidos or anything, but, like, because you're not on the East Coast, but, like, dude, you mess with, like, a Guido's sister, and he's going to come and knock you out, right? I mean, this is... Everybody's pointing at Fred. <laughs> like, like, I mean, like, because it's more of an East Coast thing, just because it's more of an older culture, um, but, like, like, you know this for a fact, that, like, if some dude had, like, hit you in the face, he's going to have to deal with all of your brothers and your dad, Right? Okay, how many of you, like, I'm not, I'm not, this is not a Christian question, I'm just asking you, just as a human, how many of you know that, that probably would be okay? Yeah. <laughs> if, like, her brothers came and, like, knocked that dude out, like, you don't, you don't do that. Okay, now, I'm not saying let's go take vengeance, I'm saying that there's something in the human heart that knows that injustice needs to be paid for. I'm not saying that's the best way that it would be paid. You're saying that's just street justice. But I mean, he's probably going to do it again. But I'm just saying, like, my point is, though, is that there's a reason for that. It's because we know that deep down there needs to be a cost for wrong. We know that. Everybody knows that. Even the people that say there's no such thing as right and wrong. How can you protest Donald Trump thinking there's no such thing as right and wrong? It doesn't make any sense. You obviously think something's wrong, or you would be screaming with a sign. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. Just wanted, just wanted to say that. All right. So I'm just saying it's hardwired into the human soul. I'm going to get a little bit deeper. I'm actually getting to the point where the hunger for the gospel is actually in every human. So I want to just hand this for us. Okay. I didn't know where this me- why this message went here, but we're going to go here. Okay, so um, I haven't talked about the gospel in so long. I might as well. Um, okay, so check this out. 
you have these lambs that God has ordained that once a year a spotless lamb is killed for the people. His chosen people. Great. That's up to him, not us. I don't even care. I'm not going to argue with it. Sorry I said that so fast. <laughs> then, all of a sudden, thousands of years later, every year, they have this thing called the, the Urim and the Thummim. No one really knows what it is. But we knew that it was two-sided. And it had a yes or a no option. That's all we know. Every single year, when they would sacrifice that, that, that lamb for the sins of the people, they would spin or flip or whatever they did with the Urim and the Thummim. And um, it would say yes. Every single year. For 2,000 years. Now, how many of you took statistics? Okay, great. If you're in college, you're going to have to do it eventually. Okay, so, um, um, okay, now, it sucks, but it's just one of those things. Okay, so, here's the deal. Honey, some people may like it. Great. I don't understand, but that's totally cool. Okay, so, um, yeah, it is what it is. Um, I would probably rather take a hammer to my face, but that's totally fine. That's just me. Okay, now... You think I'm kidding. Okay, so, uh, is one solid hit or take this class? Just give me the hammer, man. <laughs> okay, now, um, now here's the deal. Statistically speaking, if you flip a coin and you call it, you call heads, right? One, you just flip it once, you have a 50-50 chance. You flip it twice, you have a 25% chance. You flip it three times, you have a 12.75% chance. You flip it, it just keeps halving. It keeps getting cut in half. Okay, so once you go past 30 or 40, it's considered mathematically impossible, or at least improbable. I mean, there's no such thing as mathematically impossible, but it's mathematically improbable. Once you get to, like, 400, <laughs> it's like one in, like, and the zeros are way out here, to the point where literally it would be the equivalent of um, jumping off of a cliff and an eagle just happens to fly under you and break your fall. <laughs> And then, like, a hang glider falls under you, and all on accident, and you somehow just land on the ground like this. Let's do that again. That's about the equivalent of the, the chances. It'd be like getting hit by lightning, and get, get eaten by a shark, and get in a car accident at the exact same time. <laughs> it's just not going to... It's just very hard to get those three in the same time. You know? <laughs> That's after about a hundred flips of hitting heads every single time. <coughs> Now, now, what's crazy is that happened for 2,000 times in a row. It hits every single year. That's amazing. I mean, just that alone. You want to talk about miracles. That's incredible. If you get into gambling or anything like that, that's insane. That's, you, you hit head, try just hitting heads four times in a row. You will be there for about four hours. I'm serious. You can try it. I mean, you can do that all day. Okay, now listen. Yeah, yeah, no, really. It's, it's seriously hard. Just four times in a row. Just statistics alone. They, I mean, there's literally gambling back in the 1800s that all it would be was just doing flips. And people are just betting on it. If you keep your money on heads for more than three times in a row, you are an idiot. But the money comes rolling in because it's, it's, you get a lot of money. It's like 12 times what you have just, just, just putting it on there for the same thing. Okay, now, what's incredible is God said, I accept this sacrifice for the sins of the people, but only for the last year. It's not like it's like covering them for three more years or whatever. Every year, they would actually, the Jews eventually got this idea, 
Well, it's going to get covered anyway in a week. Let's just live hecka crazy. Get all your adultery and your like drunkenness and whatever you want to do that would just totally destroy your life out. And then you'll get that sacrifice and we'll cover all those sins. Which is in the New Testament. Us Gentiles don't understand that idea. And so when we read in the book of uh, Hebrews, when it says, how can you, after tasting the heavenly gift and all these different things, basically God's sacrifice for you, Jesus Christ the righteous, how can you continue to sin? Because then it would crucify Christ afresh and make it of ill effect. What they're really saying is this. Jesus isn't dying once a year for you guys anymore. You can't have this whole festival of sin anymore. You can't have all this stuff happening anymore. Because you'd be making a mockery of Christ's sacrifice forever. He sacrificed forever, not once a year. It doesn't just cover your past sins, it covers your future sins. So it doesn't make any sense to revel for a, for a week out of the year anymore. It doesn't make any sense. It's an affront to God. I mean, it was already. But, but now it doesn't, you don't even have that excuse. It's just over. That's what the book of Hebrews, written to the Hebrews, is talking about. <laughs> but as Gentiles don't understand that, so we interpret that as meaning you can use, lose your salvation at any moment. That book in Hebrews is more misinterpreted by Gentiles because it's not written for Gentiles. We don't even understand half the concepts in there because we're not Jews. I'm not saying we're not able to. I'm just saying that there's been some way whacked out stuff. I know, seriously, there's a woman that used to come to the rock and she would come in and say this. She'd sit away from everybody, and she's just always crying, but she'd come to church. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? I'd always reach out. And her idea was that she had sinned so much that she had actually lost her salvation, so she could never be renewed again to repentance. Totally opposite context. Um, and so because of that, she, could, she was going to hell, but she just wanted to be around the people of God until... And I'm like... No! I want to be like, what the hell is going on right now? Like, this is hellish. This is horrible. This is demonic. And, um, but I didn't have the theology to tell her anything different. All I had was like, but I know that no matter what I did, like, and I'm like, Romans 8, you know, like, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ and all these things. And if we do sin, we have an advocate, Christ the righteous, John 1. But the problem was that her interpretation of Hebrews was so strong, like, like her decision around that, and she had judged all these other people because of that. And instead of asking God forgiveness for judging everybody else and telling them they were not saved anymore, which is a really intense sentence to tell anyone, um, instead she just decided that she deserved it. And I could tell it's just really difficult. You guys, there's nothing you can do to separate you. Sorry. Now, that was for the believers here. Okay, now, what happened was, is when Christ died for the ungodly, What's totally amazing is that when we were yet sinners, when we were hating him, I'm quoting the book of Ephesians and a bunch of other books right now, but when we were yet sinners, when we were still against God, he died for us forever. That means that I can hate God, I can war with God right now, I can say, you know what, I don't love you at all, I want nothing to do with you, da da da, -da. He's like, that's cool, you want me to, to, to cover every single thing, and I just have this free gift for you anyway. It doesn't even matter. You think you hate me now. Um, but once, once I give you a new heart, a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone, all of a sudden things will be made clear. Now the world will say, well, that doesn't make any sense. And just like the Hindus and the Buddhists and, and Islam and all these other places, what they do is they say, get better and better and better, and God will love you more and more and more. This is actually why religion offends so many people. They think that you guys are walking around judging everybody. 
you're not good enough. They can't be good enough. They don't have the blood of Christ. They're in their sins. Why on earth would you hand somebody a standard that's impossible for them to remove themselves from? That's tyranny. Never do that. If somebody isn't a believer, they don't have standards. They get to do whatever they want. And that's okay. I mean, in one sense. I'm not saying it's okay. Like that they're... But what I'm trying to say is that you, know, you have to appeal to their worldly nature at that point. You can't be like, God doesn't want you doing that, brother. They're not your brother. At least not in a Christian sense. For, for us, we are salt and light to the world. Salt stops atrophy. It stops things from, from uh, degrading quickly. It's preservative. It also irritates. Um, and it tastes great. Um, whereas light, on the other hand, light is something that actually illumines darkness. When they say you are salt and light, salt is just your presence alone. You know when people like, that F oh, sorry, I cussed. Don't say, no, that's fine. It's not fine. And they know it's not fine, which is why they're asking your forgiveness, because you're around them, and all of a sudden there's this standard. They're not just asking your forgiveness because it offends you. You know the people like, dude, I can't cuss no matter what. Yeah, get them around their grandma. A whole new a magical power just showed up, and they can, they can all of a sudden not cuss. It's amazing. No, what's happening is they're just reveling in their rebellion. They love the feeling of doing whatever they want to do whenever they want it which is actually what the word mammon means, but we'll get to that later. Um, you can't serve God and mammon at the same time. You can't serve what you want when you want it and God at the same time. Getting what you want when you want it is the root of all evil. Doesn't that make a lot more sense than this piece of paper? It actually never said that money is the root of all evil either. So the love of. so the, And money, mammon, the Greeks named money the word for mother's milk, or at least the desire for mother's milk. Because the Greeks were awesome. And they understood what money would represent, because they invented money. And they understood what it would represent. It would represent getting whatever you want. So they named it Mammon. More accurately, the, the, the desire to cry for breast milk would be more accurate, which would be even more weird. Um, but yes. <laughs> Because the Greeks understood how dangerous that stuff could be. And so Jesus never said money is the root of all evil. It's never been said in the history of the Bible. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. Money isn't evil. Money will... Okay, have you ever heard that term, absolute power corrupts absolutely? Has anybody ever yes. heard that? Yes. That's not true. Absolute power will draw out who you are for That's all right. to see. That's what absolute power will give you. It will draw out who you already are for everyone to see. It will put you on display. North Korea. Or Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't say North Korea has absolute power, but he's convinced he does, and all of a sudden it's obvious who that dude is. Whoa. Okay, so, he's like a cult leader from the 70s, but instead of like a little farm out in Mendocino, he's got a whole country. Okay. Um, yeah, it's weird. Anyway. Um, so now check this out. Jesus showed up, and he said, I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. My blood covers your sins. This is amazing. I mean, read Isaiah 53, 54, and 55, which was written a thousand years before Jesus showed up. That's amazing. They're like, some dude's showing up, and he's going to die, and all the sins of the people will be on him, and he will be led as a lamb to the slaughter. This is incredible. Where, where are lambs born? Mangers? Great. Okay. So um, guess where Jesus was born? It's totally amazing. Like, God knows what he's doing. He literally has the lamb of God born in a lamb place. 
<laughs> what? Okay, so then um, all this stuff happens, blah, blah, blah. Okay, it's like incredible virgin birth. It's only happened once. Okay, so finally, um, like you don't see that every day. It's not like your neighbor had a virgin birth yesterday, you know. Okay, so all this stuff happens. And um, finally, Jesus himself, it's totally incredible. Like, you know, they persecute him and all this crazy stuff. And the one dude, uh, I think it was Pontius Pilate, but he's like, don't you know that I have the power to kill you or release you? Dude, I love what Jesus said. Because Jesus knew what he was doing. And he's like, <laughs> no one has the power to kill the Son of Man. That's right. He lays it down willingly. <laughs> it said the dude was shocked at what Jesus was saying. Like he was like completely un just in amazement that Jesus was talking to him like that. He's like, dude, I'm about to put you to death. And Jesus is like, no, you're not putting me to death. He's like, no. You remember that the three other times when they, they sought to put him to death? Mm -hmm. I love the one story. They're on a cliff. They want to throw him off of it. And he says that he just looked at all of them and passed out of their midst. <laughs> I just love it. You know like the dad look? How many of you have like a dad that could just give you a look and you're yeah. done? Dude. Well, I mean, he created the whole universe. So he's like over here and he's, he gives the dad look. And it's like more dad look than anyone's ever had. They're like, oh, dude, yeah, dude, just go for it, man. Did you get some money? I mean, he's walking around. Yeah, it's like, it's like they're going to kill him and all of a sudden he does the dad look. And it's just over, you know? I love it. That's what I, that's what I, would, I picture. The Catholic movies, it's all of a sudden like, oh, and he's like, <laughs> that whole like no emotion, like blonde haired, blue eyed Jesus guy or whatever. Um, anyway, so, um, wow, okay. Okay, so what happens next is just incredible. What happens is, is he goes to the cross and on the cross, um, finally, um, there's a moment that says that darkness covered that whole area. And it's actually interesting, like even Josephus writes about that. It's like, it's a secular account where the sun literally just got darkened, not by clouds. The sun just got darkened. There was no eclipse. And what happened was, is at that moment, um, there was an earthquake. And there's a lot happened in this one amount of time. And these are all secular history situations. It's not like the Bible just made this stuff up. This is all corroborated with Roman history and all this other stuff. A massive earthquake hit right when he breathed his last. And it actually cracked inside the temple and actually tore the veil between the, the, the holiest of holies and the rest of the people. Yes. And that's the place no one was allowed to go into. No one was even allowed to look in it. And you actually had to have a rope tied around your ankle when you went in once a year. Um, because if you, had, if you had unconfessed sin, you would fall down dead and they would have to drag you out. That's intense. What God was saying is no longer is it you're a bunch of weirdos just to be weirdos' sake. No longer is it the, the, the blood of the lamb for one year only. The blood of this spotless lamb was actually God in the flesh. He came actually to end the situation, to end the war between God and man. That's the idea. And so all of a sudden, now we're here like, I don't want to be at war with you anymore. It's a very simple situation. I don't want to be at war with you anymore. I repent. I turn from being at war with you, and I accept your sacrifice forever. Not just my sins that I've committed, no matter what's been said, it doesn't even matter. Whatever's been said, I'd lie to in your head. He'd still have done it all just for you, for you. Great song. Okay, so, um, uh, the end result of all this. Wow, it's only 1140. Man, I love starting early in worship. Okay, so um, usually I get to this point, I look at the clock, and it's 1210. I'm like, ooh! Okay, um, no, so I got a little time. This is good, this is good. So I want to sum this up. So um, what happened was, is Jesus went to the cross as a spotless lamb, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And he, he, did, he demonstrated that over and over, like who he is. Some water up in here? Yeah. 
thirst? Some thirst? I do not want any more thirst. No. Um, okay, now what happened, what happened then changed the face of the universe. It changed everything. All of a sudden, God that created everything, not just uh, America, all of a sudden what happened was, is this. He said, Father, why have you forsaken me? For the first time ever, completely separated from the Trinity. You know, God in the flesh. You ever wonder why they always call him God's son? It, it tripped me out for the longest time. Maybe I was just being way too complicated about the whole thing until God was like, I was his dad. Like, physically. <laughs> like, she was a virgin. I was her dad. That's why he's my son. Okay, check. It's it's practical. It's practical application, not a mystical application. Fantastic. Okay, so um, so what happens is for the first time, a part of the Trinity, he's now actually separated for the first time ever because he has the sins of the past, present, and future from everybody on him, and God looks away. Father, why have you forsaken me? Okay. Father, why have you forsaken me? And then all of a sudden, all this stuff happens. He's a, a thief on this side and a thief on this side. And the thief on this side, side mocks him and says. If you're who you say you are, then do this. That's what people at war with God say to God all the time. If you're God, then you'll do this. Oh, you didn't? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what they said. But on the other side, this thief, who knows he's being just, justly crucified for his crimes, says, when you come into your kingdom, Jesus, just remember me. That's all I ask. I don't mean ask to be there, because I don't deserve it, but just... Could you just remember me? Like, is there just one moment where, like, you're on your throne and, like, you just remember me? Yeah. Dude, what a humble response. And it's full of faith knowing who Jesus actually is and knowing this could not possibly keep him down. Yes. And he's about to breathe his last on a cross. And no one's ever come out from that. And yet he says, could you just remember me when you come into your kingdom? <laughs> what? Like, how much faith does that take? Like, first of all, here you are. Second of all, here's this dude over here that is about to breathe his last. I mean, he's probably, I mean, there's like, when you have lung, water in your lungs, like, when you're breathing, you can hear it. I mean, it's like a big deal. And this dude over here is like, he's going to go out at any moment. But you know what? When he's in his kingdom, if you could just remember me. Not, not save me, just remember me. And then Jesus' famous words is all, Assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's like so potent. And, um, and so here we are, like, finally he breathes, he's, he looks up and he's all, Lord, it is finished. Speaking to the God that's turned his back on him. It's finished. And he breathes his last. And that's when the earthquake hits. This is like secular history. This isn't just like a movie. Secular history. But we think it's cheesy because like, we would have written it better. No, it actually happened. And people are writing things in an allegorical fashion for everything I just told you. This is why it's quote-unquote cliche. It's because we're in a Christian society. And all of our movies have somebody dying for the people. And all these other, other Christ archetypes. And those are the movies that sell the best because it's, it's written on your heart. That's right. So, that's why we don't like movies like Requiem for a Dream. And if you do, I'm really sorry. Let's have a conversation. Um, don't see it. Um, really, though. It's actually, there's been so many suicides just attributed to that movie. The point of the director was to destroy all hope. You spent millions to do what? Like, you should have just gone and picked peaches, man. Like, that's a horrible job. What are you thinking? It's fully demonic. It's a war against God. That's raging in that guy. I guarantee it. 
Who would want to destroy hope? Would anybody, if I asked, is hope a good thing, would anybody say no? <laughs> Unless they've been really jaded in life. Their hopes have been so dashed over and over that they believe hope itself is the problem. <laughs> Just like orphans believe that healthy families are the problem. Okay. Now, um, here it happened. Jesus died. And that's not the end. <laughs> I love it. Because he even told everybody, he's like, they're all, whatever man, like blah, 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 like you can't do this, you can't do this, show us a miracle. And he's like, okay, destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. And they're like, took 40 years to build this temple. You're going to build it in three days? They're all mocking him and stuff. He's talking about his body. And it said later, he, the disciples, after he died, realized what he actually meant when he said that. Destroy this, I'll raise it up in three days. And he did. It's totally incredible. And that, I, I highly recommend you reading um, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by John, Mc, Josh, Josh McDowell. Dude. It's so hilarious. Because people are like, oh, whatever, it was a conspiracy. A conspiracy? Like 12 of his disciples get tortured to death. Like Andrew had his muscles filleted off of his body. I mean, you had, like all sorts of crazy stuff happened. For a conspiracy? To what end? It just doesn't make any sense. And 5,000 people were added to the number of believers in Jerusalem in less than 15 days after Jesus rose from the dead. There are people that were too far away to even walk back and forth, or even a runner in different parts, that that revival was popping off because Jesus had appeared to them. They didn't even know it was... You know what I mean? They didn't even know that people in Jerusalem were saying that he was raised from the dead. All these people all over Israel start seeing him. Seeing him and hearing him speak. I just love this. And so what happened was, all of a sudden, so Jesus actually rose from the dead and paved the way for us. He beat death. Death, where is your sting? The reason why that's so poetic and it touches us is because deep down the gospel is written on our hearts. So, now we get back to the Ulum and the Thurman, that, that flipping the coin thing. Yeah, the Thurman? Yeah, the Uma Thurman. The Kill Bill coin? Yeah. Um, yeah. So what happened was, is they, 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 on the night that, oh, and by the way, Jesus died on the Passover night where you, where you kill the, the spotless lamb. He fulfilled it all. Yeah, some strange reason. Okay, yeah. Wait, but I thought they had to kill him before, because of the Passover. You kill the lamb before Passover, and then Passover starts. Oh, and then he actually was in the grave three days, just like Jonah was in the well for three days. So, check this out. So then, God loves foreshadowing. He just loves it. So then, they flip the, the, the thing, looking for heads. For the last 2,000 times, it's been heads. It's never been tails. It's never said no. God never like said, I don't accept that sacrifice for the sins of the people anymore. Never once. Until that night. This is in, this is in the, the, the Talmud. The Jews know this. I don't, I don't accept that lamb. What? And coincidentally, the Holy of Holies is ripped open. The Jews are freaking, they don't even know what to do. So guess what they start writing? The Talmud. Mm -hmm. To reinterpret Messianic prophecy. Mm -hmm. To reinterpret all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's modern Judaism today. Okay. <laughs> Check this out. The next year, they flip it. Don't accept it. The next year, don't accept it. Next year, 40 times in a row, don't accept it. You remember the odds? <laughs> they didn't, God didn't accept it for 40 more years after that. And then 50 more years, or 10 more years after that, and then it just kept going. 
Sorry, I wanted to say 70, not 40. I was going to try to build it up to 70. But it was 70 years. And at 70 years, the temple was destroyed. The Romans sacked it, tore down the temple, and they had no place to do the, the sacrifice. And so then the Talmud started talking about, because God allowed that to do it, that the sacrifices um, are needed, but only once he restores the temple, which is why they're looking for the third temple to be restored today. But that sacrifice isn't going to mean anything then either. Jesus is the sacrifice once and for all for the sins of all of humanity, not just Israel. Because God's people is everybody. That's right. Right? Talk about pluralistic. <laughs> like, uh, Ern McManus, one of my favorite preachers, he started talking to, to someone that he knew, like a New Ager, right when he got saved. And he goes, the guy was like, I got a problem with this whole thing. He's like, he's like, dude, what about all the Buddhists and Hindus and everybody else? He's like, well, the Buddhists and Hindus and everybody else, they have to come to Jesus just like Christians do. And the guy's like, okay, well, as long as it's fair. <laughs> it's like the idea the idea is that it's offered to to everyone it's a free gift of salvation and what's interesting is if you really slow it down there's no reason to be offended at it wait God says that you're going to be clean forever just because of this and all you have to do is believe it there's nothing else you just believe it because God knew humans you know the gospel all the gospel needs is a live human language and water can you think of any human society that doesn't need those three things? No, it's for all humans. You don't need like this weird like beads over here made from these one flowers that only grow in Nepal or like some like weirdo like incense that's only made by some like monks like hand rolling like flower resin in like the, the Himalayas or something. No, you need water, language, and humans because God knows what he's doing. And you have this one mechanism that no one can ever take from you. Faith. That's how, that's how you access all of this. And this is why it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Because to those who are perishing, you need to earn everything. You need to earn it. But guess what? It's a sliding scale. It's just like the right and wrong thing. You've got to earn it. Well, how do you earn it? Well, if I do something wrong, then I'm going like, to start helping a bunch of people until I feel better, and then I pay for it. According to who? <laughs> Who's the one you're paying? Yourself? You might as well not do any good. You might as well just do everything you want to do all the time. Eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow we die. It, what's totally amazing to me is how much the atheist hates God. Did you catch the humor in that? That's right. It's like, I'm so pissed at this floating pink elephant next to me that I don't believe exists. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> you either believe and that, that you have, a, you have a, a place to end your anger. Like, your anger exists to land on something. If he doesn't exist, who are you angry at? Yeah. It's because it's written on our hearts. We all know that God is real. Every one of us. Yep. In fact, the most devout atheists I know, I, like, I've, I've led three of them to the Lord. Yep. It's because God even said it. I would rather you be, I'd rather you hate me than just be lukewarm about me. Yep. Hot or cold. Hate me or love me. But that whole lukewarm thing doesn't work. It just doesn't work. But the hot or cold thing? Oh, yeah. How many of you know that the people that are the most pissed at the gospel are the ones that are so close to it? Yeah. That's why they're pissed. They're at a last-ditch effort trying to get you to stop talking. Yeah. Bishop Garado. Anybody remember Bishop Garado? Yes. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Okay, so that guy, um, I took him walking around our neighborhood. We got some hectic... <laughs> 
he would sing that song all the time. Okay, so um, Bishop Barado is from from Uganda, and he showed up, and he would go door to door in some rough neighborhoods. He said it. He goes, "Take me to the roughest neighborhood." Yeah. Great, we're going to Del Paso Heights. And so they went into the worst part of Del Paso Heights, where like cops go two by twos with bulletproof vests and stuff. And Bishop Garado goes up to every single house and knocks on the door. And these interns are like, you know, like kind of hanging out like at the sidewalk or whatever. And Bishop is like, my name is Bishop Garado. I come from Africa to tell you that Jesus died for your sins. Can I come in? And they go, yeah, sure, come on in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. <laughs> I ain't gonna fight you, man. And he's like, you know, he's like not a small dude anyway. And he's just so intense, you know. So they let him in, and he like sits down, and he just starts speaking right to the very problems of the deepest parts of their soul. That's right. And he starts to tell them, this is written on your heart. You know it's true. He's like, so you need to end your war with God. Why would you expect to be blessed by someone you're warring against? Right. It's what spoiled kids do. You know your parents love you, and you get madder and madder at them because they're not giving you what you want them to give you. That's the majority of people with God. I can't believe you didn't do this and blah, 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 and all this weird stuff. So then what's funny, though, is sometimes he would go to a house. He went up to this one house. This dude's like, get off my property. I'm going to shoot you. Now, technically, in the United States, you can so that's where it gets a little interesting. <laughs> so, <laughs> I let Bishop know that. <laughs> I was like, look, dude, this isn't like, you know, Uganda. They probably do have a gun, and they can legally shoot you. So, you know, and he's like, he's like, and that, this is when he told me that. He goes, he goes, the ones that are the most murderous, the most angry, the ones that will shoot me because I'm on their property, those are the future leaders of the church. That's right. I was like, I love you, man. <laughs> and so he didn't care at all. He's like, I will not leave until you give your life to Jesus. I mean, he's like an intense dude. <laughs> so, uh, and his, and his fruit speaks for itself, man. I mean, it's not like a, you know. Okay, now, now we have been known as these foolish, immature, like, weird, like, uh, what's the other word for innocent? Um, uh, is innocence? Naive. Naive. naive, naive, thank you, naivety. We've been seen as these naive, pathetic people in this weird... <laughs> this weird uh, club where like we all get together and we don't smoke and we don't drink and you know we don't have sex till we're married and like we watch really crappy movies we say hecka instead of hella and we're just like these like weird you know what I mean? Prudish. Yeah like we don't like that movie. It's like who are these people in this crappy club? You know what I mean? It's like this sucks um, from the outside. But when you're inside and all your reality is, is this one-on-one -on -one communion with God knowing that his blood covered all of your sin. And then he raised from the dead and beat death right. for, as a foreshadow for you. And all of a sudden, you know you have this eternal reward, and you begin to hear his voice. Dude, raise your hand if you regularly hear the voice of the Lord. Thank you. Okay, now listen. <laughs> when you hear his voice, you don't have to wonder if it's his voice, right? You know that happened. Okay. Yeah, can I tell them? Sure, go ahead. Great. So, um, so uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Um, at uh, no, Monday night, Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning. Um, my dad is still living with us, and he opens the door, and he's like, Brian. And my dad thinks everything's an emergency, and so he's just not used to the pastoral life. And so I'm like, I'm on all the time. And so um, so he opens the door, and he's like, someone at the door for you, man. And I was like, okay, great, dude, chill out. You know, like, I don't hear any gunshots. Never mind, this is 4 a.m. Yeah, like, yeah, it's 4 a.m. So I open the door, and there's Josiah on the porch. And I'm like, at first I actually thought it was your brother. Because your face looked more like your brother at that moment. Okay. I'm just saying, you're just really soft. And it's like, hey, what's up, dude? 
And I was like, hey. And I was like, he's like, I think I'm freaking out. I'm like, okay, great. And I, so I ran through the checklist. Is your dad okay? Yes. Is your family okay? Yes. Is your house okay? Yes. Okay, what's going on, man? <laughs> and so it's so really like talking. Well, God woke him up, or maybe you were just already I awake. I was already awake. Great. About 1 a.m., leave. What? Leave. Where am I going? Silence. How long am I going to be gone? Silence. So he does what every person would do that's thinking about how his parents would feel after this. He, say, he writes a note saying, I left. I don't know when I'm going to come back, and I don't know where I'm going. Okay, great. So, so then he's walking, and then God, then God leads him to come to my house. Great. So he shows up at 7, 4 a.m., and I was like, all right, dude. And immediately I could, I could sense the Lord wanted to encourage him, and this is actually of the Lord. Amen. Dude, he walked a long time. This isn't like around the corner. Yeah. This is like, okay, I live in this neighborhood. You know, I live like a mile that way. Yeah. He lives over by the Walmart and the, the, um, the Home Depot and Antelope. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> just alone, just like, dude, this is crazy, this is crazy. I think this is the Lord, this is crazy. So by the time he gets to my house, he goes, I don't know if I'm either losing my mind, I'm having a nervous breakdown, or God's doing something. I'm like, all three. <laughs> because your mind... The parts of your mind that have held on to this idea that, number one, God cannot be heard, and number two, that you don't do stuff like this, well, you need to lose that part. Yeah. Yeah. Number two, when the flesh that, that fights against the Lord, the Bible says that the flesh wars against the Spirit, and the flesh does not submit to the law of God, nor indeed can it. Yeah. Well, then that part is actually fighting Him the whole time, too. Well, guess what anxiety is? So your flesh is ruling your idea of the future. That's what anxiety is. Your flesh is just all up in your future. Huh, here, buddy. <laughs> Nothing's going to work out. Like, that's what anxiety is. Anxiety is listening to that. That's what anxiety is. Anxiety is not an emotional state. Anxiety is reading the book that it's telling you to read. That's what anxiety is. That's why people that try to fight anxiety through drugs and through, like, trying to, to change their, their mental state. Home, home. Like, that thing, that's why it doesn't work. Because because it's not a state. It's an action. Anxiety is an action, not a state. Yeah. just want to say that. That's why Jesus is be anxious for nothing. Be really condescending to say, stop feeling that right now. That's not what he's saying. He said, stop applying yourself to the tools of anxiety. Yes. Okay, a little commercial there. Okay, so, um, uh, so uh, because you, you become what you behold, period. You become what you behold. Yeah. And, um, and so if all you are doing is regularly thinking about what could go wrong, you will become the fruit of that. Yeah. Just how it works. doesn't mean you can't change at any moment. It just means that's true. Okay, so with this guy, I'm like, yeah, of course you're anxious because you're doing something you've, that has no precedent whatsoever. You have nothing to compare this to. You just literally walked all the way to my house at 4 o'clock in the morning. I, I mean, your flesh is having a field day. But I was like, dude, look, man, but the third one is still true too, that God is doing something. If no other reason, just the fact that you did what he asked. Yeah, sure. So I just want to say that's awesome. Okay, number two. I want to go on a little t little thing here. Dion, he's not here. So it's, I can just speak freely, which is great. How many of you know Dion has been changing like crazy the last six or seven weeks? Right? Okay, well, Megan knew. And so, um, um, okay, so. Okay, well, you guys, Dion is just straight up like getting rocked. And I really felt last Sunday when my head hit the pillow um, during the day for a nap um, <laughs> that um, it, as soon as I hit the pillow, it's like, take a collection for Dion. Okay? Call each individual. 
Okay, so I called pretty much every single person at Kairos. If you didn't get a call, your spouse did. Um, and if you don't have a spouse and you didn't get a call, you didn't answer the phone. So, um, <laughs> and so, um, um, so what happened was, is um, I wanted to get about $300 for, for Dion because his back rent wasn't paid because he's so full of faith right now. He's convinced that God's just going to show up. That's amazing. Right? Which God will show up. And, um, and so, because um, God always is for us. And so, um, so this is what happened. He knows that. He knows God's going to show up. And he talks to me. He's like, he's like, dude, I know God's doing something, man. He's like, but like they have this last in, last out thing at, at Target. So he's only, he's only getting uh, five hours a week at Target. Five hours a week. This is just after he had that, all those, those managers show up and ask what he was doing different because his work ethic was like increasing significantly and all this hope was happening and stuff. And then all of a sudden they drop his hours to five hours a week. Now, normally somebody would say, this isn't cool. And especially Dion. Dion's like, I'm talking to get out of here, dude. Hey, seriously, man, like, maybe like, I can move him to some friends, family or something, in like, Nevada City or something. Like, you just get all weird. But this time, he's getting more and more calm and more hopeful. Amen. That's when you know it's supernatural. Amen. I've prayed over two dead people to raise from the dead. I have more faith for it to happen now than less. Amen. That's only supernatural. It doesn't make any sense. Okay. So, I here take up a collection form. Okay, great. I just wanted to like give him like $320. I gave him 670 because every single one of you just showed up. Amen. It was totally amazing. But what's funny is when I met with him, I was like, I was like, hey, um, uh, I just want to just encourage you. And I just, and he's like, dude, that's what I need. I just need you to build up my faith, man. I just want you to encourage me. So I show up, I take him out to lunch. I'm like, so you hungry? He's like, dude, I haven't eaten since yesterday at lunch. So you hadn't eaten for like 28 hours because you didn't have any money to eat. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't saying anything. And I, now, for a lot of people, I'd be like, say something. But for him, it, that, that, that's a change because usually he'd have to start scraping and try to manipulate. And like, yeah. hey, man, I just need this thing. And like, like that thing? No, yeah. totally different. He didn't even say it. And he's like, dude, I am so clear right now. He's like, I am so at peace. Yeah. I know that God's going to provide. I'm not, I'm not even worried about it. Yeah. He's like, this is totally new for me. I'm like, it's awesome. Well, I have $670 in my pocket ready to hand him when he's telling me all this. So I pull out $40, which is how much we personally gave. And I said, this is what I got for you, man. And he's like, he's like, and he's already so humbled. He's all, bro, I wasn't even going to ask, dude. He's like, I just know that God's going to take care of me. I'm like, okay. So then I get him a sandwich. We start talking and his faith is like, he just keeps showing up more and more. He's getting more peace, more faith to the point where literally he's like, dude, I don't even know what's going to happen. I don't even care. He's like, God is just for me and I know it. I'm like, yes. And so then finally at the end of the conversation, right? I'm like, okay, remember how I told you I only had $40 to give you? I'm like, that's true. But Kairos. And I pull out this massive stack of two 100s on the top of it, and I slap it down on the thing, and he just breaks. He just starts crying immediately, and he gets up out of, we're in a cube, we're in like one of those like booths, you know, at Jersey Mike's, and he's like, and he's like, he's walking around, the, there's people in line with food, and he's like, he's just walking around the, the, the restaurant, like, Amen. oh my good, and he sits back down, and he's just crying, and he's like, dude, I've never had people love me like this. Amen. He's, I've never seen it. He's like, dude, I know that God told me that I was going to get taken care of, but I didn't know it was going to be like this. And it's like this totally incredible situation. Okay, and so um, then that night, God shows up physically with him. Amen. And he's having this encounter situation. Now, I know that's happened to a few of us in here. Dude, here's, here's him. 
and God shows up manifestly with him, and he says, and after a while, where Dion's like, this is totally amazing, this is totally amazing, I can't believe what's happening, blah, 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 and then God says, this is how it was when you were six. This is before everyone tried to harden you. He's on, I'm bringing you back. <sighs> okay, so, that's amazing. All right, so um, what I'm trying to say is, um, is this is a very real situation happening. It's very real. And um, sometimes we get so caught up in the day-to-day, -day, or we're just like, hey, brother, like, what are you doing, man? I just love you. And of course we do. But sometimes we can forget that this is a very real, mysterious, incredible, heaven-oriented situation. And God gets to do whatever he wants. Like, our God is in the heavens, does whatever he pleases, right? Okay. One of you have heard that song. Okay, good. Um, okay, so, um, but he is, he's in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. When people say like, well, why are these people speaking in tongues and why does that happen? Because God does whatever he pleases. Amen. He didn't ask your permission and he never will. He gets to do whatever he wants. Like getting this guy to walk at 3 a.m. all the way to my house in the middle of the night and all he has is God told me. Yes, step one, check. Okay, great. And so, um, you know, you keep doing that. Like, this is for the room. When you hear him say, do something, I don't care if you have to lose your job at that moment to do it. Yep. Do it. Yep. Look like the foolish, yep. crazy, whatever it is to the world. Don't even worry about that crap. Yep. Just do what he asks. Because he always has your best interests in mind. How many times have we stepped... Dude, Zach, right now he's like, he's up in that situation, like... Like, he's already talked to, to Otis and that whole situation. But you remember the months before this? Zach is like, I'm going to work there. You remember how he got the job at MCE a year ago? Yeah. MCE was saying, you're not going to work for us. Stop calling us. <laughs> and he's all, whatever, man. He's like, God already told me to work there. That sucks. That means somebody's going to have to get fired or something. <laughs> because God told him he's going to work for MCE. And then guess what? Like, three weeks later, he gets a call. You want to come in for an interview? <laughs> Somebody just amazingly, because people are at those jobs for 20 years, they just left. So you're the only person that's been calling. So we're not even going to list it. Just show up. <laughs> How do you know that? How would he possibly have known that unless God himself tells him to do that? And we, you know, we can keep going here. I mean, all of us have stories like this. Almost every one of us can stand up and, and have those stories. Well, that is the reality of the situation. The blood of Christ is that real. It's that real. I, I, had, I had somebody talk to me yesterday, actually. Man, I'm struggling with pornography again. I hate it. I want to get out of this situation. I was like, okay, check one. Does the blood of Christ cover it? Yes. Does he call you righteous even when you're not? Yes. Okay, so where does condemnation and shame fit into all that then? It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. That's why there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then the next question, when people hear that is, well then, what does that mean? Does that mean that I can just do whatever I want? Yes. Whoa, whoa, You mean just, just utter chaos? No. Because when your heart truly believes that, when you actually know that to be an absolute fact, which sometimes takes years to, to really acclimate to grace, all of a sudden it changes your very heart. And the thing that wants you to sin in the first place is the tensions of shame and condemnation that you're trying to escape by sinning. And when you have no more guilt from the sin itself, you have no more shame and condemnation and you no longer want to do it. That's right. That is what biblical sanctification is. That's right. 
It's not, don't do this, don't do this, try to do this more, try to do this more. No, it's acclimate yourself to grace. Condemnation and shame has no place in the human body. None. It's like, I say this, it's the worst tool ever. It's like trying to hammer a nail in with a donut. <laughs> it will never work. Ever. More like, like a, a ball filled with full, like, ferric acid. Like, like something that hurts you when you use it. Shame promises the very thing it robs. That's how you know it's not of the Lord. Okay. Now, so what is the actual gospel then? Here it is. Christ died for the ungodly. That's all of us. Um, even when we were at war with him. Period. Part two. His blood continues. It's the, it's the, it's the, the most applicable medication and salve that covers every single thing. Raise your hand if you've been healed by the blood of Christ from something that, that normally would never be healed like of that in that way. Right? Yeah, no, I don't mean like, I had like a weird mentality and now it's gone. Which, would, that, that's totally valid too. I mean physically. Raise your hand if you're miraculously healed. Okay, great. I've had, well, you know me, I've, I've had a, a shattered bone in my hand completely healed. I've had a shattered bone in my foot healed. These were all within like 15 to 20 minutes of it happening. Um, well, like 10 minutes. Um... And Katie was there for both of those. Um, we've seen some crazy situations. Um, I got to pray over a blind man who was in his 70s in Africa. Your heart. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's another one. Check it out. Okay. So, uh, remember when, I, remember when um, I got healed before I went to Africa and at Bethel and all of a sudden I could run and stuff because I had this quote-unquote genetic disorder that, like, is in every cell in my body? Because I had this Native American genes and, like, my body wouldn't methylate B6 very well, which means that my homocysteine levels were going up and up and up, which will kill you. Um, and so I've, I've had two heart attacks. And so, um, but not since Bethel, obviously. But we went to Bethel, and God tells me to run up the hill that goes to Bethel. That's not a shallow hill. It's like, it's a situation. It's just sprint up it. And I start sprinting, and all of a sudden I get all of my, like, dizziness, and my hand starts going tight, and, like, all this weird stuff. And I'm like, no. I know that. Like, and God's like, no, just keep pushing. So I keep pushing, and all of a sudden I break through this barrier, it felt. And all of a sudden... My heart rate slows down, and I start running faster, and I get up to the top of the hill, and my heart rate isn't even like an out-of-shape dude like I was. It was like, this is amazing. And like I went in, like, I think I'm healed. Okay. And like I went in there, and I'm talking to everybody. I'm like, I think I'm healed. Well, I went in there. Well, we just did our, I just got blood work done. And my homocysteine is normal. It's actually lower than a 41-year-old. Like, I am absolutely healed. Isn't that great? Yeah. yeah can, I, can I get an amen or something for that? Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. Now, what did that? The blood of Christ did that. That's what happened. And so, by his bleeding stripes, we are healed. The blood of Christ, it was applied to that one thing, my incurable genetic disorder that now my kids don't have. You see what I'm saying? When we have kids, they won't have it because obviously it's not happening in me. He switched DNA around. <laughs> You know, like those little genes that these, they, they spin, you know? He just spun them all back to where they're supposed to be. Amen. That's amazing. Yep. Okay. So now what we have is we have access to the Father. We have every single blessing that God gave Christ for us. This is according to Jesus himself. And so now, the blood of Christ, they overcame the enemy by the blood of Christ, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even to death. Nothing can take you. Nothing can harm anything eternal in you now because you're covered in the blood of Christ. This is amazing. 
And what's even more incredible is you don't have to do anything. It's not like, like okay, I, you know, I gave like a building like 800 bucks or I gave a priest this or I mowed his lawn or something and then he finally like let me have this blood of Christ thing. No, it's only accessed by faith. That's what's so beautiful about it. All you need is a, a live human language and water. And water is just for a, a public declaration. Like that's why we get baptized. It's a public declaration. It's saying this is who I am now. No one else does that. Baptism. That's it. It's not this mystical situation. It's just saying, hey, I'm a Christian now, and this is why I'm doing this. That's what the water's for. It's beautiful. Okay. The, the, for me, more than any part of that, I know there's so many miraculous things a part of all of that, but for me, the most beautiful thing about the whole thing is the only requirement is that I believe it. And what's even more amazing is he even says, he even gives me the belief. <laughs> He like removes me completely out of the equation, not because he doesn't love me, because he loves me so much. It's like grabbing Abraham and just pulling him right out of Babylon and saying, you know what, dude, I'm going to make your descendants like the stars in the sky. Which I don't know if you know anything about astronomy, but it's a lot of stars. And so um, um, it's like upwards in the trillions of trillions. And so um, uh, it's kind of like that. It's like when we don't deserve it, he still does it. And all it takes is believing. And there's always a seed of belief. When we hear the gospel, it's already in us. And we hear it in this way. Well, a way that, that somehow can, 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 can transmute. That God himself says, you know what? See it like this. Or this is how you see it now. Or whatever that is. And all of a sudden, we get to walk around free. I just believe it. Wait, I just believe it. It has to be more than that. He's like, no, 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 just believe it. No, there has to be more than that. No, I'm here now. Like, I'm here. When I got saved, he said this. I've been here your whole life. And now it's time. It's time to serve me. Everything that I'd ever done to anybody, anything that's ever been done to me, he was there the whole time. And that one moment was the time. And so, um, it's just beautiful. You know this, but I'm just reminding us. You know, evangelism is on the menu, you guys. Um, three days ago, I went back to that pastor's conference that happens every three months, and I found that guy with that card. I, that, he was the number one reason I was there. The Lord's Church, you know, where they're a company of evangelists, and they show up into a church, and for two months, they just go out and evangelize with anybody in the church that will do it, and they train up evangelists, and, every, and they bring everybody back in to, to that church. They serve that church for two months. I finally saw him again. I was like, man, here you are. You're right in front of me. I was like, you're the company of evangelists, right? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, awesome, man. You're the number one reason I'm here. And so we got to talk. I got his card in my phone and in my wallet. So now it's in the cloud or whatever, so I don't lose it. And so, um, you guys, evangelism is on the menu, man. It just is. Anybody that's down, I I'm recommending every single person take part in this, even if you have to take a day off of work. Take part in this. When you lead someone to Jesus, it does something to you. Well, obviously it does something to them, but it definitely does something to you because those people become the most radical. It's like bringing them into a place that's so beautiful that you've been every day. Like if you worked at Disneyland or something, you were there every single day, and all of a sudden you bring someone that's never even heard of something like that, and you bring them into Disney and they're like, what is that? And you're all, oh, that's, that's, that's Tomorrowland. And you start telling them, but what, what's happening is their, their newness on them is infectious. And you start remembering once again the newness of the situation. The newness, the, the, beautiful, the beautiful freedom that you have. It's just, it's incredible. Heaven on earth all of a sudden. The new believer, you want to inject life into your life? Hang around a new believer, right? They're incredible. And they're the most fervent evangelists you've ever seen. Because they know it's true. They're like, wait a minute, this whole time I thought it wasn't true, but it is? I'm going to tell everybody. And then they get to sound like everybody else sounded to them. 
And they start, they start walking that tension of faith. And all of a sudden their friends start cutting them off and stuff. And they don't even care. And their friends think they're nuts or whatever. And sometimes they pull out a whole bunch of their friends. And they all get saved too. And I'm just saying that's on the menu, guys. We're going to start seeing that. Um, how many of you guys have I not shown next door yet? The studio, studio C, where the kids are. You know where the kids are usually. Okay, how many times have we been praying? <laughs> He's like, "No, we're talking about this." <laughs> um, so, how many, um, how many of you guys have been praying recently, or at least it's been somewhat on your heart for a new building soon, like a new space? Great. Well, um, <laughs> Studio C is gone. They've knocked out all the walls, and it's a space twice as big as this, and that's going to be our sanctuary when they're done. It's pretty awesome. At least for me. And so, um, um, yeah, right? And so, yeah, can I get a hand for that one? That's good. Um, you know, a lot of you guys have come up to me and you're like, you're like, hey, um, Brian, like, when are we going to get a new building? And, and I can just sense the Lord just saying, don't even worry about it. Just stop worrying about that. And other people will come up, dude, when do you think we're going to get a new building? And I was like, and I'm, I'm trying to think in the natural, like, well, as far as money is concerned right now, we don't really have that margin and da 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 da. And so, um, yeah, this new space over there, Huge. It just it's 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 big. It's 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 twice as big as this room. So we can we can hold about forty more people comfortably. And so um that's gonna require more chairs, not a problem. Um and some tables and we're we're actually gonna get a little more on lock. I'm gonna talk to, to um Tammy about um uh maybe getting a little bit more uh solid as far as like not being so ghetto. You know, we come in and have to clean everything every single time we come in or whatever. Um, maybe up the rent a bit. Um, I don't know. Uh, but I'm just telling you that God is doing this. And evangelism is on the menu. He doesn't want to fill that room with just stealing people from other churches. Amen. Do you know what I mean? Amen. It's like we're not socialists. Let's, let's create capital instead of just moving it around. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. come on. Okay, and so, so let's do that. Um, so um, I think in the next couple months, we're going to see an influx of God-hating, god like just, just heathen peeps that just hate God that are going to get saved. And all of a sudden they're going to taste freedom for the first time in their life. And we get to steward all that. Isn't that good news? Yeah. The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives even to death. That's great. Right? Okay, so that's what I got. I'm going to pray and I'm going to sew it up. All right? Okay, so Lord, um, I just bless... You, we just bless you right now. We just say that you are faithful and good and holy and so above and beyond anything that we could ask or think. And yet at the same time, you're right next to us every step of the way. Always prodding, always inviting, always doting on. And so God, I just ask, Lord, that if anybody in this room um, has not um, accepted your free gift, it's such a funny thing, it's a free gift, um, that, that, that that would be made complete. And that every single person that walks into this room from this day forward would know who you are, know what you've done for them, believe that you've done it for them, and taste all the blessings and freedom and gifts therein. So we bless you today. And God, I just thank you for all the things you're doing in our life. May you increase them. Increase them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.